Great. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you for making us your own. We thank you for gathering us here today to worship you, to be in your presence, and to receive from you. Father, we ask to experience your touch. Lord, we ask to know your tangible presence. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Lord, give us soft and open hearts. Open our ears to hear what you would say to us. And Lord, there is nothing that I have to say unless you give it to me. So I ask, Lord, that you would give me words to speak, that, but that my own words and thoughts may be forgotten. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, through the years, I've spent an awful lot of time traveling, and I have some opinions and some experiences that have been positive, some things that I have experienced. Uh, perceptions, opinions that are negative. One of the things that uh, over time has become quite valuable to me is uh, GPS. Either the machine that I have a portable one that I can move from place to place. Um, I take it with me when I'm renting a car and, and those kinds of things, so I always have one with me. Uh, my vehicle has one built in. Uh, most of you have phones that have something, so if, if you need to get someplace, um, you can use it to find your way. And I, I've used mine a, a lot recently in going in mostly to uh, Dallas uh, or to some of the other communities when I'm, when I'm going somewhere the first time. And I just have an address. And I've been a few places where I know vaguely where it is, but that's about it. So a number of weeks ago, I had to go to an address in Frisco. I didn't even know where Frisco is. <laughs> and I had the joy of punching, trying to punch it into my GPS. I'm sitting there in a parking lot after a meeting, and I pull up the navigation thing, and I put Frisco, pulls up the next thing. It asks for the street, and the GPS refused to take the street. It apparently doesn't exist. Which caused me a bit of a problem because everyone else from the meeting had fled very rapidly. And this is where I'm staying for the night. So fortunately, I had the email on my phone that had the booking in it, and it was for a hotel, and it had a get directions button. So I put that in, and then I typed in the place where I was, and it started to give me directions, and I realized as I was driving down the block that I had used the wrong departure address. That's the place I'd stayed the night before, not where I was for the meeting. So little you turn back into the parking lot and start over again. So the GPS can be a marvelous thing, but you know, sometimes they, they're a bit quirky. And I don't know if you've heard some of these uh, things that people do with their GPS. So um, I found a few stories on the internet, actually, uh, what people have done with their GPS. So uh, there is a guy in Germany about uh, 10 years ago that uh, punched his thing in the GPS and just listened to the directions and did exactly what it said, ignoring all the highway warning signs, and drove his Mercedes into a giant pile of sand because <laughs> GPS told him to. He didn't care that there were markers there that said the um, then there's the young women who uh, drove their SUV into a lake. 
They had a rental car, punched in the address, and off they went and followed the road and the instructions right off the boat ramp down into the water. And once again, for some reason, they just followed the directions on the GPS and didn't actually look out the window. As did a group of Japanese tourists in uh, California. Same thing. No, not California, Australia. Uh, the GPS told us we could drive down there, uh, the fellow told the local Bayside Bulletin. It kept saying it would navigate us to a road. We got stuck. There's lots of mud. 50 yards offshore. <laughs> then there was a group of travelers in Utah who plunged off a cliff to their deaths, thanks to the GPS. The fellow and his friends were expecting a scenic drive as they made their way from Bryce Canyon to the Grand Canyon. On a dark night, they nearly died when the GPS led them to the edge of a very steep cliff, and they managed to stop just before plunging over. And there's another story in there about a guy following the directions and pulled off on the track, and the directions said it would look like a walking path would turn into a road. Well, he managed to get his vehicle stuck at the top of a mountain because it was a goat track. So, finding your way isn't always straightforward, and sometimes there's a question of, well, I mean, if you've traveled with children, you've probably heard this, or said it yourself. Are we there yet? I don't know. I, I, one time I just, I, I know I'm a little twisted. We were driving somewhere and the kids said, are we there yet? I said, yep, get out. <laughs> As we were going down the highway. <laughs> they didn't. But directions are significant. And the destination, are we on track? Are we there yet? Are we getting there? And that thing in your GPS when it says your destination is on the left. And there's that moment of relief when it really is. Because I've also had the experience when it said your destination is on the right and there's just this big open field or something and you realize this is not where I'm supposed to be. That question can be significant. Am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I on the right track? Is this, is this right? And that's what was going through John the Baptist's mind as he's languishing in prison. John had been put in prison because he uh, was a true prophet who spoke exactly what God told him to speak, when God told him to speak it, without respect to people. And he had some things to say to the king, to Herod. And Herod didn't like what he had to say, and so he put him in prison. And as John is in prison, he's hearing continuing reports about Jesus and what Jesus is doing. Now, you may recall, John baptized Jesus. And you may recall that when he baptized Jesus, there was something that happened. He saw the Spirit come on him in a visible form, in the, as though in a, um, like a dove coming and resting on him. And hearing a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. So John had heard this, he'd seen it, he'd baptized Jesus, things are starting to happen, and now he's stuck there in prison, and he's wondering, is this the one? Because I think he had expectations, just like everybody else, of who the Messiah is. What the Christ was supposed to do. So he's hearing these things, and there's these things going through his mind. Is Jesus who I think he is? Is he the one? But also that sense that was burning in his heart that he was to prepare. 
prepare the way. So had he done his job properly? Had he prepared the way for the right person? So all these things are swirling inside him. Is this the one or is this not the one? Does he tell his disciples, go follow him, support him, be a part of what he's doing? Or does he say to his disciples, we've got to keep looking, you need to carry on my work. He has to give some directions to his own followers. Do you keep going down this track, or have we gone astray? Is this the destination? And so the disciples come to Jesus, and they give him the question. John sent us. John would like to know, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus doesn't give his direct answer. He doesn't say, yes, I'm he, tell John everything's good. Instead, what he says is, go back and tell John what you're seeing. Go tell him your experience. Give him the evidence. Because the disciples, John's disciples came and they watched. They had heard the stories, but as they were there, while Jesus was carrying out his ministry, they could speak from their own experience. So the disciples go back to John and they say, John, he didn't say yes, but we saw blind people get healed so they can see. We saw deaf people get healed so that they could hear. Lepers cleansed. The good news is going to the poor. Jesus said the dead are raised, the lepers cleansed, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see. So of course when they go back, that immediately will click in John's mind because it will take him right to our first passage from the book of Isaiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp, and the grass shall become rains and bushes. In other words, the proof is there. The evidence was clear. This is the one who was to come. Except the answer is yes and no. Am I the one who has come? Yes. Is this the destination? No. No. This is the opening of the highway. Do you remember the highway? First reading? Once again it says, there will be a highway of our God. The holy way. Even idiots will get lost on it. It's safe for Lawton go on this road. <laughs> Only those who are righteous are permitted on this road. There's no lions, there's no jackals, there's nothing that's going to eat you. And even the most directionally challenged are okay. So long as they walk in God's way. So the journey has begun. The evidence is in. The blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor receive good news, those who are possessed are delivered. All these things are happening. So yes, 
It has all arrived. Again, it's not complete yet. It's breaking in. It's here. And yet it isn't yet finished. And so it is that James writes to us and says, stay on course. Take the path. Don't give up. He says, you must be patient as a farmer is patient. I, you may have figured out from some of the stories I've told, I have one of my best friends as a farmer. And I've known many people who have been cattle ranchers and different things, and they've come to the conclusion, I'm glad they're doing it and I'm not. <laughs> now this fall, they're already making decisions about how much fertilizer to buy, how much seed to buy, all those kinds of things, and they're stockpiling it on the farm so that they'll be ready for spring. And when the snow, up north, starts to melt, and you start to watch the conditions, then you have to wait. And in where my friend is, how he decides when it's time to seed is he takes a big thermometer, sort of like a meat thermometer kind of thing, and goes it out and sticks it in the ground. And when the ground, however many inches deep, reaches sufficient temperature for the seed to germinate, then he can seed. You have to wait until the ground is ready. But you have to hope that you have enough moisture that's there. So you hope that there's enough rain, all those things to prepare, or in their case, for enough snowpack that melts slowly, hopefully, into the ground. If it melts too fast, it just runs off because the ground's frozen. And if it's too much rain and it melts uh, too slowly, you can't actually go on the field or you'll sink your tractor up to the axles and then you have to go get a bulldozer or something to pull the tractor out. And you have to do it correctly because somebody went to pull their combine out because they were harvesting in the spring because the fall was a bad harvest so they couldn't do it. They had to wait until spring and they broke their combine in half trying to pull it out. You have to have a lot of patience to be a farmer. Of course, as I said to somebody the other day in this old saying, I heard, do you know how you make a small fortune as a farmer? You start with a large fortune. <laughs> Farmers are amazing people. They're people of faith. And whether they're believers in God or not, they're people of faith. Because you go and you plant your seed, and then you wait. You can't make it rain, you can't make the sun shine. And you need the rain at the right time, you need the sun at the right time, you need the rain at the right time, you need the sun at the right time. And then you cut it and you hope it doesn't rain, so you can finish the harvest. And James says, as a farmer waits for the harvest, so we wait for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. You need the early rain and the late rain. You need the sunshine, you need all those things. And you know, though, if you wait, most of the time that crop comes. So we wait. We stay the course. And James again gives us, I don't know if you picked up, there's a bit of a theme over the last few weeks. Don't grumble. Don't argue with one another. You see, when we have to wait, we don't get what we want instantly. We start to get frustrated. We start to wonder what's going on. As John did, it's natural. And there's a danger for believers that we start to say, where is God and where are all those things that were supposed to happen? And we take our eyes off of Christ. We put our eyes on ourselves or the road or our frustrations, and that's when we start taking pot shots at each other. And when we start to be divided and come apart, we've lost our way. We've lost our righteousness, and we actually get off the holy road. 
and start wandering into the desert. You see, you stay on the road by keeping your eyes on the cross. As long as we keep our eyes on the cross and the destination, stick to the course and follow the direction, we're, we're going to be fine. Not easy. Don't, don't, don't mistake those two things. The way of the cross is not an easy way. The life of a believer is not always an easy way. In fact, of all the people on earth, the real Christian needs to be the most courageous. Because we face the challenges. We face people who don't understand us. We face a world that rejects the gospel. We face a demonic enemy who's trying to destroy us. Just, just to cheer you up. <laughs> Which is why we so desperately need one. Why we so desperately need to hold together. Why we so desperately need to invest in keeping the GPS up to date. You need to keep downloading what's supposed to be there. So we spend the time in the scriptures. We spend the time in worship. We come to the altar. We have an altar call at Ruben. As we come, we kneel down before our Lord. We say we need you. We're desperate for you. We put out our hands. We're told this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. And we say, Amen. Yes, I believe this is true. God, give me your grace. And we take into ourselves our Lord's own being. As he feeds us and gives us his strength. So he says, keep on the way. And as you walk on the way, we should expect to see the evidence of the way. We're not at the end yet, but as we go, if we're in the Lord's path, we should see the evidence of the Lord's presence. Makes sense, does it not? We're told the Holy Spirit came on the church and that He's with us to the very end. It says so in the Scriptures. It says that in John. The Holy Spirit will be with you. Jesus also said at the end of Matthew, I am with you to the end of the age. You're not alone on this road. I'm there. So if he's there, we should see the kinds of things that John heard about, that the disciples saw. What were those? Healing, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the dead being raised, the poor hearing the good news. That's the fruit of God's presence. And the thing is, is He's invited us to do it. We should have an expectation that right here in our midst, among us, in our ministries, and in, in, in our lives, we should see that fruit. Where people are transformed. And it's also something for us to understand for our own selves. <laughs> What is God's heart towards you? He says, come and walk on my highway. Come on the holy way. Come and take my righteousness. Paul tells us that Christ, God puts the righteousness of Christ on us. He takes our sin off of us. And he put it on to Jesus to take to the cross. And in exchange, he takes the righteousness of Jesus. 
who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous in every way, who walked according to the Father's will, who fulfilled everything, who rose again from the dead. And he takes the righteousness of God and puts it on people who don't deserve it and can't earn it. He covers us. That's why we wear this covering on us as a reminder. Because of the covering of Jesus, we have the ability to go on the holy highway. It doesn't matter if you're holy or not. That's not the point. He is holy. And if you walk in Christ Jesus, you're on it. You get to go there. And if you get to go there, that means all the evidence that Isaiah foretold and that Jesus said has arrived is on that highway for you. God heals our blindness. He speaks very much about the blindness of our hearts. That He opens our eyes to see Him. He opens our eyes to see His Word, to see His presence. He opens our deaf ears to hear His voice, that God would speak to you through His Scripture and with His voice to reveal Himself in your life. Personally, do you hobble along through life God gives you healing that spiritually you're not lame anymore. All those things. He also talks about the desert being transformed. The places that were deserted and dry and dusty become springs and filled with life. There is no reason for us to go through life dry and dusty and struggling. He pours the water of His Spirit into his people. It says in John chapter 7, when Jesus went to the festival and he said, Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink, and wells of water will rise up inside him. John said he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. God would fill you with his Spirit so life wells up inside you. You are filled with life. You're not going through life looking for being fulfilled. Don't leave here dry. And the jackals go off the road, those things that would destroy you and nip at you and wait around for you to fall and attack you. We aren't defenseless. We don't need to be afraid of those things. In fact, Isaiah said, don't be afraid. Take courage because of the presence of your God. If you walk on the holy way, the Lord is with you. All those things are true spiritually, but there's also the exact plain sense of what the scripture says. I saw a man go into a meeting. He's wearing hearing aids and he couldn't hear. And at the end of the meeting, they offered an opportunity for people to have prayer. And he came forward for prayer and he left without his hearing aids and completely able to hear. I saw a man when I was in, um, in Iba. Every Friday night, they have a healing service. They all gather outside on the grass under the trees. And somebody preaches at them, shares with them, and they just pray together. And there's all this group of people were sitting there. And they prayed in general for people. Then they went to one or two in the crowd, and that was it. And they went to this one man who had been sitting there 
and they helped him, somebody took him by the hand and he got up and very slowly kind of walked around. I hadn't noticed, but when he arrived, he'd arrived on the back of a motorcycle. They had taken him from the motorcycle and carried him to the grass and he sat down. When he got there, he couldn't walk. And when he left, he walked. God does these things still. It's not merely words, it wasn't just for that time. It is part of the evidence of what God does. There is nothing that is impossible for our God. So as you are here this morning, as you come forward to receive at the altar call, come before the Lord with whatever it is that's going on inside you, but with a heart of expectation that you are going to meet Him in this moment. And that as you meet Him, He is going to pour His grace into you. Don't leave dry. Let the water of the Spirit flood into you, fill you with His presence and with His joy. Whatever is going on in your life, you can lay it down. As a body, as a community, we need to be committed to what you know. Keep your eyes on the cross. Jesus is always in front of us. The cross and the resurrection. That's why we're here, because of Him. Because He died and because He rose. But because He died and because He rose, all those things that He talked about continue for us. These are things that we should be seeking and praying for. That we are that Jerusalem outpost. We're that place where anyone can come and experience the transformation and the very power of the living God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have made the way for us to know you, to walk with you, to reach our final destination of your very presence. Lord, as we walk, we pray that you'd help us keep the course to stay in you. So Lord, encourage us in that way and open our eyes to see where we need to walk. Lord, draw us together in unity. We pray that you preserve us from division and the enemy pulling us apart. And Lord, we ask that you would refresh us today with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for your healing presence to pour down now on your people. Lord, we hold before you every physical need that is here in this place today. We also hold before you every dry and thirsty heart. Lord, I pray for your refreshing, for your presence to touch each of us. In Jesus' name. Thank <clears throat> you.